This week's episode of the Hot Four podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lalaman Brewing, a division of Lalaman Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria, is helping brewers achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalaman Brewing's premium brewing yeast and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation, Lalaman Brewing recently launched several dry yeast products, Lal Brew Voss, Wild Brew Philly Sour and Lal Brew Verdant IPA. I personally use Lalaman yeast when brewing Emmanuel's and have been over the moon with their Verdant IPA yeast, not just in IPAs, but also in ESBs and a variety of other beers. It gives a lovely distinct flavour, attenuates well and is just excellent to brew with. So, for more information about Alaman's products in the UK, please contact the local representative, Andrew Patterson. Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via their website, lalaman.com. That's lalaman.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Crisp Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ryborough in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilo sacks for craft brewers and distillers around the world. Check out their website for more information for their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at crispmalt.com. That's crispmalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, Hopheads, and welcome to yet another sesh on the Hot 4 podcast. Pickled Onion Monster Munch. Remember those? For our international listeners, this is a quintessential British snack that you get introduced to from a typically young age. It's a rite of passage almost growing up with an intense, you guessed it, vinegary pickled onion flavour. Where is this going, you may ask, dear listener. I'm glad you asked. I once lived on the steepest hill in Sheffield, Blake Street. At the top was a derelict hostile-looking pub. The steel panels covering the windows with perforated holes could have been lifted directly from a BBC British drama set in working-class Sheffield during the 1980s. In barely legible scrawl, you could just make out the name it once held, the Blake Hotel. My housemate at the time, Russ, and I would sit down drinking bottles of Leff on the small scrap of land to the rear of our terraced house and say, oh, imagine if the Blake became a real ale pub. We'd conjure up images of what it'd be like to climb to the top of our street, burst through those doors, order a pint and let the good times roll in. Except I got a job, I got married, and I moved to the other side of the city, only to be told by Russ, they're turning the Blake into a real ale pub. I could have cried. First tears of happiness, followed by bitter weeping for the pub-devoid wilderness in which I now lived on the east side of the city. Fortunately, me and my wife soon saw the error of our ways and moved back to live within a mere stone's throw from the home that is home, the Blake. 
The Blake is a proper pub full of proper people. It never feels full, even when you're sharing a table with complete strangers because it's standing room only. And Jim, who you've just met, says you're fine to perch on the back of his chair. Equally, you're just as content when it's just you with your thoughts, your pint and your imaginary dog. The Blake is like stepping into an independent record store and hearing obscure acid jazz one minute and your favourite new indie band the next. I've had everything from West Coast IPAs from breweries you've never heard of, all in perfect condition and without the fanfare that so often accompanies craft beer, to a beer that took me rather by surprise one evening while I was out with my wife Claire. I can't remember the brew for the life of me, but they weren't a million miles from the rolling hills of Sheffield. And I went to order this particular beer from this brewery and was warned by the bartender as he held his glass poised, ready to pull the pint. It's a sour beer, this. I'd heard stories about sour beers from American homebrewers. We're going back a good number of years now. So my curiosity was evoked even more and took the deep dive into a whole new world of beers. Carrying my perfectly pulled pale yellow cask-conditioned sour beer back to the snug, I immediately launched into the beer, only to discover pickled onion monster munch, I exclaimed. Tastes like pickled onion monster munch. One might be tempted to think that even the thought of this is revolting, let alone the taste, but the reality was somewhat different. It had a sour, acidic sharpness that quickly gave way to a more pleasant, rounded, pickled flavour and had a musk not too dissimilar to a petting zoo. This was my first foray into the world of sour beers, and a memorable one, to say the least. But it wasn't until I discovered Lambics that I truly appreciated the funk within the glass. I owe this pleasure to my good friend Linda Birch from Brewery Market, who invited me on a virtual boon tasting event. Until this point, many of the sours I'd had, mainly kettle sours, never really took my breath away. For those unfamiliar with kettle souring, this method that circumnavigates the aging process by using lactic acid, often the same lactobacillus found in yogurt, adds the culture to the brew kettle, keeping it at a constantly lowish temperature until it's, well, sour, sometimes for several days, and then proceeding with the brewing process as you normally would with a sour wort. These kettle sours tend to often be sharp, acidic, and just have a certain tang to them. And it's not a flavour I'm all too fond of. However, I was immediately overcome with awe at the vat-aged boom beers, in the same way I felt with that first pickled onion-flavoured beer I had in the Blake all those years ago. Sour beers have increased ever more in popularity, especially over the last decade, to the point where they are now mainstream enough to be stopped by national grocery stores. Brands such as North Brewing Co, Brewdog and Vocation here in the UK all have a variety of sour beers on offer on the shelves. It was the placement, though, of Edinburgh's Vault City, a brewery that solely focuses on modern sour beers, that caused a bit of a stir recently when they were listed in one of Britain's biggest supermarket chains. For some, this was a huge step forward for modern sour beers, while for others, another example of supermarkets attacking craft beer and independent bottle shops. This is one of the many topics I discuss in this week's episode with Stephen Smith-Hay, co-founder of Vault City. As a relatively new brewery, Vault City have captured the heart and imagination of craft beer drinkers with their off-the-wall flavour combinations. Beers such as 
blackberry mango coconut dream cake, double dry hopped pink hard lemonade, and sweet cherry bakewell are a few examples of the flavour combinations that the Edinburgh-based brewery produce. It's not hard to see why craft beer veterans love them so much and why people who may not necessarily be into traditional beer styles dominated by bitterness may enjoy a glass or two of Vault City sour beers. In this episode, me and Steve chat at length about the brewery, the challenges they've faced, especially in their cuckoo brewing days using lactobacillus in another host brewery, and what the future holds for this contemporary brewery pushing the boundaries of modern beer. So stay tuned for that shortly, but before we do, I've got a few announcements to make. So the studious among you will have noticed that today's show has been published on a Monday. For a while, I'm going to publish this podcast on a Monday. Uh, Life's got quite busy and just having that space at the weekend gives me a little bit more opportunity to edit the show and put it out in a timely fashion. So I'm going to move to Mondays for the time being. And after Christmas, I'm going to have a short break as I normally do at the time of year. I'm considering taking the podcast fortnightly. I don't know. Part of me wants to do a bit of a YouTube thing as well. So it gives some space to that. But who knows at the moment? I'm just kind of trying to make it to Christmas so I can reassess what's what. The main thing I want to do with this podcast is to keep it going and to offer really good content. I think it's more about quality rather than quantity. So let me know your thoughts on that. Send me a message, email me at nick at hotford.beer. I'd love to know what you think about that. Secondly, Hopes and Beers, the Beer and Carols event from Emmanuel's and the Industry Tap is happening Sunday the 12th of December at the Industry Tap on Sydney Street in Sheffield. I would absolutely love for you all to come. Now, I know some of you are miles away, so you probably won't, but if you're anywhere within the region of Sheffield, I would love you to come, try my beers, just come and visit the Industry Tap, which is one of the best craft beer bars in Sheffield. And it'd just be great to meet you all and have a good meet-up before Christmas. I work by myself, so I don't really get a Christmas do. So this is my Christmas do. You can come on my Christmas do. Uh, so that's Sunday the 12th of December at the Industry Tap. And finally, this has got absolutely nothing to do with beer whatsoever. But many of you know I'm a musician for my sins. And for the last five years, literally, I've been putting an album together very slowly and very surely. And the album called The Whispers and Rumours of War finally came out on the 26th of November. So that's last Friday. And I'm absolutely over the moon with it. Honestly, I never thought this album would make it past the finishing post at points. So I'm just amazed that it's actually out there. I would love to invite you to go listen to it. Search Nick Law on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, Amazon, you know, send a homing pigeon, just however you get your music, just search my name and it'll come up. I would love for you to check that out. So before we get into today's episode with Stephen Smith Hay, co-founder of Vault City, I'd love to take a moment just to tell you a little bit more about Hop Forward, what we do, and a little bit about our supplier sponsors who make this show possible on a weekly basis. Not only is Hot Forward a brewing industry dedicated podcast, but we also provide creative media solutions and consultancy for companies and people who are looking to get ahead in the brewing and beer business. 
Hot Forward works with a range of diverse enterprises from across the world of beer to provide branding and marketing consultancy, brewing and business advice, and bespoke creative solutions to help you hot rocket your way to success. Check out hotforward.beer for more info or connect with us on social media at Hot Forward Beers. Finally, don't forget to thank our sponsors who make this show possible on a weekly basis. This week's episode of the Hot Four podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lalaman Brewing, a division of Lalaman Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria, is helping brewers achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalaman Brewing's premium brewing yeast and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation, Lalaman Brewing recently launched several dry yeast products, Lal Brew Voss, Wild Brew Philly Sour, and Lal Brew Verdant IPA. I personally use Lalaman yeast when brewing Emmanuel's and have been over the moon with their Verdant IPA yeast, not just in IPAs, but also in ESBs and a variety of other beers. It gives a lovely distinct flavor, attenuates well, and it's just excellent to brew with. So, for more information about Alamans products in the UK, please contact the local representative, Andrew Patterson. Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via their website, lalaman.com. That's lalaman.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ryborough in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilo sacks for craft brewers and distillers around the world. Check out their website for more information for their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Steve Smith-Hay from Edinburgh's Vault City. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Nick. Been uh, a long old couple of months at the moment. We're uh, coming off the back of a couple of projects. I think I need a good couple of months off, but we're getting there. Yeah. How are you doing? Um, yeah, also feeling like I could do with a couple of months off. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I feel like that most months, but uh, there you go. You, you, you press on. And uh, how are things with Vault City? Yeah, they're brilliant. Um, we're um, we're only well, we only took the keys of our uh, our own brewery uh, just over twelve months ago. We're about two months away from approaching our sort of first our anniversary of our first brew day in Portobello. Uh, we opened our first bar um, at the start of the month, so yeah, we're. Um, we're good. We're uh, we're we're keeping uh, we're keeping very busy, and uh, we're, uh, we're we're growing, and um, we've got already such a great team um, that enjoy doing what they're doing, and awesome. we're 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 having a great time uh, creating this this daft new modern sour beer thing. Yeah, nice. I was at your partner dropping off a beer. I just saw there. That was. Uh, I was going to keep that quiet because this is obviously a podcast, and we wouldn't have seen the video. But you know that that was uh, no, I, I, that, that, I, that was that was a beer drop right I, there. I, I think I, I think I should get a beer, and we we should crack open a virtual <laughs> beer. So um, it's always more fun when you crack open a beer on the show. 
Yeah, for sure. It's uh, what, are you, what are you having? So um, I've got this sent to me today from Double Barreled um, in Reading. Oh, nice. So, They're uh, great. Yeah. Yeah, th- lovely folks. So uh, thanks to those guys. I'm going to have them on the show soon. So it's a Double Barreled Vocation and Munson um, Holy Trinity. And nice. I, I thought, given the nature of this podcast, um, talking about your brewery and sour beers, I thought I'd go with something sour. So it's a cherry and lime sour. Which I thought sounded like a good combo. Yeah, that so, sounds like a brilliant combo. We just a strawberry and lime and anything in lime goes, yeah. goes wonderfully. So Margarita I'm going cr- to crack this open. Why don't you tell me what you're having? Having an Arpus, uh, double dry hopped, Belma, Tueca, Citra, Paleo. Um, lucky to meet the guys from Arpus at uh, Derby Beer Festival. And uh, yeah, really, really nice folks. Love their beer. Know how to brew great beer. Yeah. Willing to nerd out about good beer for a good old while and uh, hopefully getting across to see them soon uh, and brew something together. So, happy days. Well, virtual cheers. Yeah. Cheers, man. Jink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Loads of lime, loads of lime in there. But it's, um, yeah, nice and crisp. Yeah, no, it's um, it's amazing to see. Um, so, like, hopefully not to ruin one of your questions, but um, one of the reasons I started brewing sours was, you know, just for the love of the style and mm. the fact that I, there was, like, maybe not a lot of great examples back when... Uh, back back when I was starting to, to brew, I think kettle sours were maybe just becoming a, a, a kind of widely known style and um it's uh it's incredible the average quality or the average standard of sour beer in in the uk now like there's there's like some incredible uh beers coming out from a lot of different breweries uh double barreled as you mentioned yep uh, i had uh, neon raptors um Oh, Christ, I can't remember what it was. It was their, their Halloween release. Fan oh, world goodness. Fun. That was amazing. It was the um, Stunning, peanut butter. It was, it was like a peanut something jelly. Peanut jelly, yeah. Sour thing. I had that. At, um, I went to Brewery Market in Twickenham um, uh-huh. the day before Halloween. And um, Steph, who works there, cracked it open and we, we shared it. And I, I was utterly blown away. Yeah, I mean, Neon Raptor makes some beer. great beers. No, they are. And they're... Um, they're such lovely people as well. Like um, one of the first sort of beer festivals that we did, um, we, were, we were lucky to get picked up by the We Are Beer folk and ended up doing the uh, four We Are Beer festivals it was then. I think they've got about 300 odd uh, around the country every year now. Um, they're, they're doing so well. Um, but we were always fairly close to Neon Raptor and it's it's funny they, they always just used to chuck people over to us being like yeah here's some of our beer but try this and then <laughs> chuck people over our way I think I was in pre-COVID days when it was acceptable for a brewer to hand you a glass over the stall and say I was have having some of this I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday about how that was just sort of a totally normal and acceptable mm. thing mm-hmm. to do um you, you know and then I remember at Beer X um somebody who this is this show who should be nameless who was trying to get me to try their drink and then he said it's not like we're licking eyeballs or anything <laughs> i think i might be safer yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean in, in those early days when you were um sort of setting up vault city 
were you ever tempted to make hazy IPAs at all, or was, have you always gone in at you and at Johnny Horn, who mm. was the co-founder who's now at Holy Goat, just for the benefit of our listeners? Um, did, did you guys always go in with the mindset of, no, we're just going to focus on modern sour beers? Yeah, for sure. So um, when we when we started the brewery, it was kind of like wide open to, to what we were going to do. The first sort of conversations were around, you know, we could, um, you, you can contract brew uh, um, dry grape brewing um, in, in Glasgow. Mm. You know, it was, it was the potential of contract brewing at dry gate and um, we, we weren't allowed to bring lacto or, or bread into the building. And the idea was that we would bring it all home and un, uh, uncap the bottles and use a pipette to, to drop in sour cultures and stuff and then use that as a sort of way to yep. uh, to make the kind of funky beer that we wanted to make but um, I think like when it first started I, th- I think the kind of plan was very was relatively loose my my brewing was focused I would say primarily around the sort of lactobacillus forward sour beers mm. you know our, our core all the beers that we make um hopefully don't contain Britannomyces, uh, as far as I'm aware. Um, we our, our, our beers are all lact, lactobacillus and, and saccharomyces fermented. Um, my, my focus was on New England hazy IPAs, lactobacillus and saccharomyces fermented sour beers, and then long-term barrel-aged um, Barrelage stuff as well, so the, the, there was a combination there, and, and Johnny was pretty similar, less on the hazy IPAs, and um, we kind of s- struck a common chord around wanting to create these sour beers that I was brewing at home, Johnny was brewing at the Hanging Bat, and um, we were both kind of like, I think we've got something good here. This is this is what we are doing, and this is what we like drinking, and we were both a fan of each other's beer type thing yeah. and went like, you know, let's, let's, let's try and do a thing here. Yeah. Oh, I love the hanging bat. It's such a great pub. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. My brother-in-law lives in Edinburgh. So uh, I remember when he took us there and I just got into brewing as well. I think it was probably about like 2014 or something. And, um, I remember seeing the tap list and I was just like blown away, you know, but when they, um, when I asked for a sample and they literally gave me like a thimble, I'm pretty sure the bar, the person behind the bar who poured it then flicked it <laughs> before he handed it to me. It's like, what's this? Um, so yeah, I'm not used to that from Sheffield because you go down, you know, and you ask for a sample from behind the bar, you know, down the lo- your local, you know, real ale pub and they kind of pour you half a pint, you know, yeah. that's like your sample quote unquote. So. No, the, the the bat's great. It's um, it was one of the first sort of places where I settled on as like the local and the craftier place to go. And like I remember practically looking the windows, looking at their brew kit. Like it's it's just absolutely. It was such a sort of mecca for for brewing, and then also the the fact that they had such a beautiful um, sort of you know essentially home brew kit. Yep. Uh, it made me you know. The, the hanging bat was was absolutely the, the place to go for for me and and a lot of friends yeah oh I, I remember seeing it going walking past the loo and seeing it um made, you know made out a couple of old kegs i think um you know professionally but i think it's an american company that made them yeah um behind this big 
sort of wall of glass and being like, oh, wow, I'd love to have a brew kit that size in my house one day, which which I do. And uh, funnily enough, when I went to get that beer <laughs> a few moments ago, I'd, I'd, I'd nearly slipped on the floor where one of my <laughs> one of my beers, which is um, having a rather vigorous fermentation, has just sort of gone all over the floor down there. So it's like, damn, I don't want to have a brew in my house. <laughs> I miss those days. And at the same time, um, I don't miss those days because, yeah, cleaning up after fermentations going gone awry or actually gone completely how you want them to go just maybe a little bit unexpected and yeah. a little bit more headroom required <laughs> yeah I, I um I, I work with a brewery in Sheffield called Loxley Brewery and um every time I go it's, it's only like a five and a half barrel kit um but you know the, the the floor they've got is just great and I seem to cover brewery floors but I've had bad experiences so this, this is probably why but the fact that you know it's all slight on a slope and you can just like splosh things around and just spray it down the drain is just amazing you know until you've worked on a bad brewery floor you maybe all the listeners out there like now are like why are you banging on about a floor it's like well until you've worked on a bad one <laughs> i see if you uh especially if you've got a bad floor and a bad squeegee that's the <laughs> and everyone's got bad squeegees oh, uh yeah. the, those what's it like like care v-i-k they're, they're like thunder by the squeegee and they're meant to be amazing but I'm not paying that for a wiper blade on a stick. Yeah. Uh. So I'm, I'm really going to nerd it now because I've got like, it's like a squeeze, but it's kind of like a hybrid of a squeeze and a mop. And you okay. can sort of like, um, it'll soak up all the water or beer or whatever. And then you can pull this handle and it'll sort of squeeze it out. Um, because I, I've not got a drain down there, so I can't just like... It's just your neck. ...traditional squeeze it into the floor and it's just like the most out of all the equipment that i've bought you know and it's a pretty elaborate little setup that's the best thing. <laughs> yeah no it's um it's funny how you find these little bits of equipment that just like the quality of life improvement far outweighs the capital expense yeah totally when we um when we we did the portobello brewery i um so my background's not brewing at all um, very much home brewer. Jumped up home brewer is is, uh, is my job title. <laughs> and uh, the um, when we designed the brewery, it was myself and um, my brother-in-law and um, one of my best pals who's an architect. And he was like, well, what kind of slope do you want? And I, I think I kind of just motioned with my hands, being like, that? <laughs> 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 when you get a chance, like if you ever come up to Edinburgh, come come see the brewery. And like our brewers have calves of steel from pushing pallets up. <laughs> you get like fermentations that like overflow and like, you know, the and hits the floor and it's like immediately in the drain. It's uh, it's like a water park. It's brilliant. In fact, that's what we'll do. We'll close the brewery down and open a water park because there's got, there's got to be, uh, there's got to be, uh, there's got to be more money in a water park than a brewery, right? That's hilarious. <laughs> so j- j- just going back to those early days then, like when you were cuckoo brewing or gypsy brewing, like what, what yeah. were some of the, because you alluded to this earlier, what were some of the challenges you faced in particular um, brewing Vault City beers elsewhere, especially given the nature of handling sour cultures in someone else's brewery? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm a little bit fly by the wind, seat the pants, wherever you look at it. Um, the way I look at it is that we currently successfully brew um, clean beer in our completely infected brewery. Um, 
we just add hops and lactobacillus is inhibited by alpha acids. Uh, so, you know, we that's that's kind of that was my kind of short take on it. When we were first talking to 71 Brewing, um, there was discussions from our side because I understand that the reticence of um, and the kind of reluctance to to want to welcome someone brewing with uh, questionable cultures into in, literally into your brewery. Um, and uh, there was talks of um, having color coded well wellies to uh, to make sure that we weren't going to trudge uh, trudge through their brewery and and, and ruin ruin their beer. Um, but yeah, I mean, we would never have been able to follow the traditional route of cookie brewing. Um, we had our own tanks. We had our own cooling for those tanks. We had our own packaging line. Um, we had our own hoses, our own everything, um, which was obviously a massive pain in the ass because it's next time if I if I ever if I'm ever stupid enough to start a brewery again, I'll I'll um, <laughs> I'll make sure to start a dairy at the same time because as soon as you tell someone it's it's for a brewery, you might as well just you know quintuple the price. Uh, it's like having a wedding, like you know, don't tell them it's a wedding, tell them it's a party. Yep. <laughs> um, so it was incredibly, you know, it, it took a lot of capital to start uh, to build the brewery from the inside out. You know, we had. We started off with two 40 hectoliter tanks brought from uh, Malrex. Um, we started out with, um, I've been a great believer from day dot. A lot of the stuff, so I, I've been, um, like I said, Nick, I've, I, I'll follow a lot of podcasts and blogs and all that stuff, listen to all of your stuff. And then when I was starting up, it was like reading a lot of, um, a lot of blogs, a lot of books, a lot of, um, all the information I could find to go, right, what's the sensible thing to do here? And the first thing everyone said was to buy bigger than you think you need. Mm. So the first thing we did was bought a chiller uh, that was you know, still too big for us now, um, but we only ever had to buy it once. And once you, once you start, you know, you pay the base price for a chiller and then to get double the size, it's not double the price, it's 25% more and then 25% yeah. more and 25% more. So, we made sure to buy the right thing the first time round as much as we possibly could, and and, I, and we've actually done quite a good job with that. Um, but yeah, the, the the cost of 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 buying a brewery without actually having a brewery itself <laughs> was 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 staggering. And um, yeah, it was a, a combination of raiding every last bit of uh, savings. Um, I, I was actually quite. Uh, I was going down a road in my previous job. Um, I was a IT consultant, and um, I hated working. Didn't want to. Didn't didn't quite. Never gelled with me. Obviously, did because you've got to. Yep. Um, but I was kind of following along a road of um, looking to retire as early as humanly possible. So mm. spending as little as I could and saving as much as I could, so I could look at stopping working. Uh, as early as possible, which meant I'd saved up a bit of cash and once Fault City looked like it, it had a future and realized that it was what I wanted to do and what I loved, I plowed all of that money into into that, uh, remortgaged the house, lied to the bank, took out 
silly loans and put the balls on the block and went for it. Um, yeah, we just, Mr. Mr. Barclays, we're just brewing hazy IPAs. That's what everyone wants to buy. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting a sour beer brew. We're all going to yeah. make beer that's sour. Yeah. Everyone will love it. <laughs> See, yeah, I was nah. actually going to ask you, like, how did you manage to convince people, whether it's banks or investors or whatever, to, you know, invest this money into a, a sour producing brewery <laughs> yeah sure so i mean there was there was no investment in all, in all honesty so um at the time uh i'd got a bit of cash from family um not uh not not donald trump you know i got a small million pound <laughs> loan to um although you know i don't know not, it's it's it's, uh, it's all paid back now but um i think i got ten thousand pounds uh loan from from uh from parents and um i invested everything i had and uh johnny got parents involved and um i i think like i think starting the brewery in the house was the best thing possible my wife will kill me for saying that <laughs> and i don't think she'd ever let me do it again so this has got to work um so like having that proof of concept and being able to say we know what we're doing we know what people want to drink we know the idea that we've got works and we know that it's got longevity in it um i think as soon as we could then go to cuckoo brewing which was a bit more of a risk a bit more investment well, a lot more risk and a lot more investment um and then once we got our own brewery, that was really sort of like, you know, the house is on the line. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is what I say to people when I do consultancy work, you know, when people set up breweries, like you should, and you should always test, 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 and then scale mm -hmm. rather than just like going in full whack because like it, it makes sense. You know, you, you have to, you have to test your brand. You have to test the recipes. You have to, test yeah. what mar marketing strategies work and all that kind of thing. And, and it's, it just makes sense. And it's, it's very easy to look in the brewer's journal or whatever the magazine or website, you know, you, you look at, go on Instagram and see people with their shiny breweries and stuff and think, Oh, I want my own brewery. But like, you know, it, it it's a lot of hard work. It's really hard work. <laughs> it's making the beers like it's not even half the battle. No, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> making de the decent beer is is really difficult. Um, like there's, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of bad beer out there. I think that's uh, that, that's that's kind of I'd say fair to say, but um, making decent beer takes passion, takes knowledge, takes commitment. That's not half the battle. The, the rest of the battle is then the business around it, selling it, marketing it, like making sure people actually want to be a repeat purchaser of it, trying to balance out. You know, I've had sleepless nights going, oh, Christ, we, we need a core range. Like, you know, do we do a core range? Do we do this? Don't even get me started on the sleepless nights before we went into Tesco. Like, you know, well, that. That, that's coming up at question 10. So uh, <laughs> a little sneak for you, for the listeners. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it, you know it's hugely challenging, and and the reality is is that it's the margins aren't huge, the stress is massive, the capital investments beyond enormous. I'm not putting people off because it's fucking brilliant. 
Mm. I don't know if you like. Sorry, I don't know if you like to. No, go for it. Effing and Jeffing on your your podcast here, Nick. But um, I wouldn't change it for the I've world. Worse. But <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't change it for the world. But it's been a right bastard. Yeah. So it just reminded me just now, now with the effing and Jeffing. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but maybe it's the beer talking. But um, I um, I remember meeting up with, um, it was from, I think it was from Belfast. Um, it was this um, guy that run this charity called Church Army. Uh, mm. Really, really great guy um, called Mark. And um, we're going back, you know, about 11 years now. We weren't for coffee and Starbucks. And I was talking about like... I, he wasn't like a mentor, but it was kind of like someone you could kind of chat to about life stuff. And, you know, I was going through a really tough time. And he went, um, he went, you know, like sometimes Nick's life's just, and he sort of looked around and went, shit. But then when he realized I didn't flinch, he was like, shit, bigger feck twat shit. <laughs> you know, and it just reminded me a little bit after you asked about your permission to swear. He was like, yeah, you thought, yeah, that's it. Door's open now. You all yeah, swear. that's it. Caught you my phone. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, just, 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 I guess, coming on to Sleepless Nights, so you, you moved into your own brew house in Portobello in, in 2020, which is, I guess, a story in and of itself, 2020. Um, <laughs> but, like, I mean, how, how did you... And you talked about moving from home to then Cookie Brewing and so on. So, like, just talk with you how you managed to take that leap from brewing at um, 71 Brewing to owning your own equipment and taking on a unit. And I guess what advice for any of our listeners in that position... Um, you know, it might be in a similar boat because um, a lot of brewers like this, this podcast, you know, sure. um, of, of taking an established brewery and a brand, but then settling into your own shoes, so to speak of, rather than someone else's. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, the best advice I can give is just ask questions, ask as many questions as you possibly can. Talked earlier about um, it being such a young industry. It's not like you're, you're going to bother people um by saying like when this came up like how did you manage to get your how did you get around the fact that scottish water tell you you can't dump anything but the cleanest of water into the drain that you you know ends up in the same sewer as your toilet um i think with us being such a young industry you talk to anyone um and they'll give you they'll give you advice they'll give you honest advice I think everyone in this industry realizes that uh, rising tide floats all ships and like we're, we're all in this together type thing. Mm. Um, ask as many questions as you possibly can. Uh, question everything. Ask, like, don't, don't just take things as gospel. Um, poke, poke at things with a, as big a stick as you can find and try and figure things out for yourself where you can. Um, engage professionals where required. I'm not a professional brewer by any stretch of the imagination. I think I've brewed commercially like three times. Um, I've, I can brew a mean brew on a grandfather for sure. Uh, but once you get above like sort of 20 liters, my, my knowledge runs out. Um, that's why when we moved to Portobello before we had the likes of Ravi, our brewer, Fendi, uh, he's, he's another one of the brew team. Um, these people know what they're talking about. I don't. And when we were moving to Portobello, I engaged a, um, a consultant and worked together with him on designing what we wanted from output to input type thing. So mm. I said, I want to be able to make a 12% triple chocolate, double maple 
blueberry s'more beer. Oh, just ripped my veins. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, cool. That sounds fucking stupid. But also, this is how you'll be able to do that by double-sizing your mash tun, putting this equipment in, making sure that you've got uh, redundancy and growth available within the equipment. Like the the, the, the brew house that we've got is 55 hectoliters, which is absolutely nonsense for how much beer we sell. Like we, we, we still only put out maybe 2,000 hectoliters of beer a, a year. Um, and you've which got a 55 like, hectoliter system. Yeah, yeah. So like we're... we're We've got, this, right there. <laughs> we've got this monster brew kit that sat there and um, that we can max out if we want to. But the reality is, is that all we really needed to do to get that enormous brew kit was add in some more stainless steel and upgrade the burner. It's a Willis European bit of kit and um, Tim Blessing will will probably punch me for saying this, but I think it's the best cheap bit of kit that you can get. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't mean that in a negative sense no, no, at no. all. Cheap as negative connotations, but it, it it wasn't overly expensive. I'd love an all singing, all dancing, press a button, and away it goes. Brew house. I'm a total tech head. Like I say, my previous background wasn't wasn't IT, but um, yeah, this bit of kit makes wonderful sugar water. Yep, and does it really well. You can do it with you. You can you can repeat what you've done. It's got good efficiency. Um, it's a great bit of kit. In time, we will eventually graduate to something that is all singing, all dancing. Uh, but for the time being, it does more than what we need. Yeah. So is it pretty um, pretty manual? Is it pretty hands on kind of kit? Yeah. I mean, it, it you know it's got mash rigs and stuff like that yeah, in yeah. it. So you know, it's not like you know chucking a mash paddle and <laughs> yeah, come on this. everyone <laughs> dig dig <laughs> yeah it's only uh it's only like you know two ton of grain in there yeah. um <laughs> yeah so it does like mashing out and stuff like that but that, that wasn't a part of the original plan like the, the original plan wasn't to have those kind of features on it but um yeah i suppose it's like another bit of advice is just to make sure that you have those quality of life pieces in there make a good floor like <laughs> just comes back to the floor, floor. <laughs> um <laughs> Our floor was a fortune, not as much as other breweries. Um, we, um, you know, you, the amount of stuff that ends up on the floor every single day and just gets rinsed off. Um, like I say, it was it was one of the it's one of the steepest floors I think you'll find in a brewery anywhere. Uh, but our sort of brewer Ravi says it's the best thing he's ever seen because he just shoots things with hoses and they disappear. It's yep. great. So yeah, ask questions. Be curious, poke at things, don't follow all the textbooks because they were written 30 years ago and just, yeah, go go uh, go wild. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to say about textbooks because, I mean, I've got a, a good fair few textbooks, you know, um, about brewing. Um, and even with the, um, the general brewing certificate um, textbook, um, and this, this is the one I've got from like 2016. I'm, hopefully they've updated it, but you know, it just seems so like old school looking at it. <laughs> you know, how much it, is dedicated to dry hopping? Uh, you, That's the question. 
I don't even think he mentions dry hopping, does it? <laughs> What's that? And look how many, you know, look how many, what percentage of beers sold in the UK in the craft sector are dry hopped and how much time is spent in textbooks or, I don't get me wrong, these, these, uh, you know, the brewing distilling courses like Harry Watts is incredibly useful, but how much time is actually spent on modern brewing techniques? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a book out there, isn't there, um, called, what's it called? The New IPA. You know, yeah, it's which called is Janish. Like a, yeah, which is like a, a pretty scientific book on dry hopping and, and you know, modern IPAs. And, you know, mm. that's that's one of the few, um, you know, and it, it looks like an academic piece. Like, that's one of the few books, I think, that really gets to grips with modern brewing. It captures the reality of it. And the funny thing is, Scott um, was one of the, he was one of the massive posters. So I I'm, I spent all of my live waking hours thinking about brewing, dreaming about brewing and, you know, just basically trying to, or brewing um, when I was a home brewer and, and Scott Janish and Mike Tomlinson. So that's, um, Scott Janish was the new IPA and he spent a huge amount of time posting on Reddit's, uh homebrewing subreddit right and that's then when he started his blog and that's then when the new ipa came out and mike who he opened sapwood cellars with uh he was a sort of other side of the coin being the sort of mixed fermentation guy and he was you know these these are people that came from homebrew backgrounds and just questioned convention and took that big fucking stick and poked it at things yeah <laughs> um scott came at it from a very sort of scientific background and like was able to you know, do what I can't do and actually formulate a scientific reason behind what he <laughs> yeah, thinks yeah. is the right way to do things. Yeah. Um, and look what he's done. Like, you know, he's, he's, I think that book has sat in the Amazon top sellers list for brewing books since it came out. Yeah. I'm, which I'm is a surprised. huge testament. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, yeah. It's such a good book. Uh, well, while, while we're talking about, um, you know, poking the stick at things and the scientific process. Um, all, all these questions are just naturally falling into order. It's, it's insane. It's like you've kind of read my notes beforehand. By the way, listeners, he hasn't. Um, but I mean, I mean, talk to me about your brewing process. Like, is it is it a similar process for beer like Cloudy Lemonade as it is for like Apple Maple Pecan? Or do you approach each beer differently not not just from a like a flavor development point of view but from an actual entire process point of view no process point of view a lot of our beers are incredibly similar so um we um we set out to do a few things when when brewing a base beer for any of our beers body is incredibly important Uh, so we use every trick in the book to try and maximize the amount of body that Mm. we can pack into uh into a bottle and maybe a can soon uh we uh we make sure to create a sour beer that is sour to be representative of the ingredients that it's carrying or that carry it um so for example like if you talk to the average person would you like to try a sour beer no that sounds awful um yeah it does it does actually sound awful sour beer is an awful term for something that can actually be so approachable. If you were to try a raspberry, then you wouldn't realize that that's actually quite sour. Mm. You wouldn't realize that Coca-Cola actually has a ridiculously low pH, but because it's in balance with 
the rest of the liquid, yep. it actually makes quite a drinkable liquid. So, you know, that's probably, I should actually be on marketing, like Coca-Cola, the most drinkable liquid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, that's kind of what we try and do is, is um, our, our pHs for um, some of our beers are 3.2, 3.15. If you had a beer from any of the classic Belgian Lambic producers, German Goza producers that had a low finishing gravity and that were at that kind of pH level, you, it, it, you, you would struggle to drink a mouthful. It would be like, it, it would just be incredibly bracing, mm. incredibly, it would just be a, a massive acid attack and you wouldn't want to drink it. Even the people who are like, well, so you don't make sour beer, they make beer that's just fruity. Um, they, they, you know, those ones that are trying to get the, the kind of real acid beers, then they wouldn't be able to drink it. It's all about balance and um, approachability. So mouthfeel, balance, and then just trying to do everything we can to preserve the raw nature of the ingredients that we work with. So um, every fruit that we work with tested, sampled, ensure that it's a great representation. Um, we've had strawberry that's turned, that's come in, that's like a brown muddy puddle. You know, that goes back. Um, it's like, you know, when you get a bag of hops and you open up the bag and <laughs> suck it straight in, then you, you, you know, you don't know what you're getting. If you give it a sniff and it's like, it's not quite right. Like if you get a bag of citra that isn't like to spec, you send it back. Yeah, absolutely. It's be the same with fruit. Yep, yep. Um, and that's it really, you know, it's... Um, it's giving, it's caring about every single part of the process, uh, balancing the acidity, sweetness, body, and ensuring that what you've got is uh, an incredible representation of what it is that you're you're making. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I can feel a rant alert could be done. But like <laughs> nothing infuriates me more than when you get hops and you open it and they're like skunky. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you just kind of like in you know it'd be like going into like a clothes shop and buying some socks, and you put them on and it's like a hole in the toe. You know, <laughs> like you wouldn't stand for that, and you know the, the the you'd be right to complain to the manager of the the clothes shop that mm-hmm. you've got a, a holy sock. But like you know, when it comes to like cops and stuff, it's kind of like oh well, you know, whatever. And it's that's almost like the attitude that beer used to have. You know, yeah. when, uh, like, going back 10 or 15 years with, like, real ales and stuff, oh, well, you know, oh, it's all just homemade, really, on a big scale, and, you know, and it's just like, mm. you, no, it's, you know, like, yeah, sorry, I was just, just it touched a nerve, as you can see. <laughs> no, for sure. It's, um, we don't have many ingredients to play with as brewers. Yep. So make sure the ones that you've got are the best that they can possibly be, because the people who give a fuck, are using the best. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is as well, like you, you you, could be brewing, like we'll take hops as an example, right? Because at least with malt, you're loading up your grist case beforehand if you luckily enough if you got one. Um, you know, and like if it's not great quality, then at least before you start the brew, you've got it there, haven't you? But with hops, yeah. like, you know, you, you're already into the process. You might crack open a new bag of Willamette or whatever it is and you open it, it's like, hang on a minute, because this has got some serious hot burn on it. Or it's, you know, it's oxidised or whatever. It's like, it's not like you can just, oh, I'll just pop down to the local Tesco and uh, buy some, yeah, you know, sure. five kilos of Willamette. Like, 
you scuppered, you know, and you've got to put it in your beer. And if you're producing any sort of volume, you know, yeah. um, there's a schedule gone. It's not just that beer, yeah. it's the next beer after that. And yeah. then you know fine well after that, you've got a contract to a beer that's on a contract to put in the tank after that. And if that doesn't release in time, then you're you've got penalties. That's yeah. the reality. Yeah, totally. Um I understand why it happens, don't get me wrong, but um yeah. I think um the thing that I'm learning more and more is that the more tanks more tanks means more better. Yeah. So, so I mean, what what other tips would you give to any brewers that are looking to either get into souring or working with fruits and mixed fermentation, or or even just looking at to take it up the next level a notch, you know, from kettle souring? Yeah, sure. So, um, one of the really interesting things that I listened to maybe sort of towards the start of um, my commercial brewing was I think it was either a podcast or an interview or just maybe an article with the um, other half. And it was it was just they were they were going into very little detail, which I'm about to. But it was very much along the lines of if you know what you want to achieve in a beer, go for it. Do not listen to people who tell you that you can't go past twenty-two grams per liter of this or you can't do this, you can't do that. If you think that what you want is more mouthfeel, more body, more sour, more whatever, just go down that road test all the variables and make sure that you trust your gut as a good brewer on what it is that you're looking to achieve. And, and that's, that's all we've done. Like our recent release dream cake, um, uh, it's using, uh, an amount of lactose in that beer. And I don't like using lactose. We use it very sparingly. And when we mm. do, we're going to go big. Um, I think, uh, I think that is, I don't think many people would believe the ingredients list on that beer. And we had to brew it twice because the first time around, I, I kind of, um, I messed it up. I, 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 went, um, I got involved in the brew day, which is something that you see our brewers now twitch whenever I come near the <laughs> brew kit because they, they know that I'm still just a home brewer, jumped up home brewer, as I said. Um, I got some like concentrated coconut milk powder, um, and uh, decided that we were going to brew the entire brew with coconut milk. Obviously, you can't get that much coconut milk yeah, without, yeah. you know. Uh, so chucked that in the kettle and uh, away we went and uh, chucked it into the fermenter and it seemed to have worked. But, you know, we, we were brewing a beer with coconut milk rather than water. Um, and uh, <laughs> all the fat rose to the top. The beer started fermenting. It's an ale yeast. The yeast rose to the top, broke through the oil, sat on top of the oil. <laughs> the beer was meant to be 10% and finished at three. Uh, so, like, you know, be curious, be really curious, poke the big stick at things and go, I've been told that I can't add that much salt to a beer. Stuff like that. Mm. Our beer's really salty, believe it or not. Like, it's got a lot of salt in it. Very few people pick out the salt. Oh, We're wow, using okay. triple the amount of salt than that most people recommend. We're past goes of territory, but you don't taste it because it's in balance with the rest of the beer. Yep. It provides body. Like, don't listen to everything that is harked as advice and like you know the parameters. Just go for it and see what comes. See what yeah. happens. Oh, I, might, I might have to call this 
podcast episodes rather than poking the bear, poking the brewery with Vault City or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Um, I mean, do, do you, when it comes down to that, like, um, do you, what, what do you do if like for an idea for a beer doesn't actually quite translate in reality like you hoped it would? Yeah, we, we dump it. Do you, um, have you yeah, had we, many ways of just being like, oh, maybe, maybe this kind of cherry Coca-Cola sour with chocolate didn't quite come off <laughs> see that could work i can see how that those flavors would work would work um, if you ever want to do a collab <laughs> <laughs> for sure no it's uh, we um uh, we are so tough on ourselves with um with with what is good beer um more so careful what I say not be careful what I say but like I don't want to say we made bad beer for a while because I don't think we did mm. I think we made fast beer for a while right so recently we moved from releasing three beers every two weeks to three beers every three weeks and when we we're doing three beers every two weeks we were making fast beer yep a lot of it was great some of it was okay now we're doing three beers every three weeks and the beer's great um, I can now say that, that I don't make it because yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was making the beer, I felt incredibly awkward about having an opinion on it. Um, the brewers, uh, Ravi, Fendi, um, all the brew team on packaging, Haig, Jay, uh, we're, we're, we're all making solid, solid, solid beer. Um, we, we we did try and rush stuff out for a while and, and that was purely, I think, purely a bit of a, um, sorry, I'm going on a rant here, uh, bit of a bit of a side but that was purely a reaction to what happened during covid which was very much uh holy shit we've got this brewery that's costing a monthly cost that has rent that has wages to pay mm. and we need to release this much beer i don't think that attitude ever went away like we need to release beer we need to release beer we need to release beer like you know let's keep releasing beer uh eventually got to the stage we realized hey shit we don't actually need to do this anymore we can slow right down. We don't have investors to please. Like it's just us. Like we can choose to release what we release, and and we we, we slowed right down. Um, it's been a lot. It's been much more freeing, and it's, there's a lot more creativity sort of come out the back of it. Yeah, like Dreamcake and s'mores, but yeah. Um, I guess um, you know, there's. I guess there are two kinds of breweries, aren't there? Um, there are breweries that are like having to churn it out mm. and breweries that are being creative mm. or, or another way. I, and I, I nicked this from a, um, a podcast I heard with another brewer, you know, a few years ago, like there, there are some beers that you drink and some you experience and like the, for, the, sure. for not that I've had like loads and loads of Bolt City beers, but for the ones that I have had, they're definitely beers you experience. And I think it's, you know, with any kind of art form, which I think brewing is, um, you know, you, you you can taste it in the way that, you know, if you hear a great piece of music, you know, you, you, you can hear when it's like a lot of time and attention has been put into like a song or a record. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, rather than just being like, let's just churn out the next pop hit, you know. Um, nah, totally, man. I think um, if you, if people saw the amount of care and attention that goes into each individual release, like S'mores is the one that recently sort of sticks to mind. And like, 
I realize that, you know, some brewers that are listening to this might think, you know, it's a fucking nonsense beer and they're completely correct. It's a fucking nonsense. Um, <laughs> double maple, triple chocolate, blueberry s'mores, s'mores bean, wafer biscuits, marshmallow. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, and obviously the chocolate in there as well, but that's already been mentioned. Um the, the amount of crafting that went into trying to nail that brief was incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we, we had all of us like sort of sat around going like, now nah, we need more of this. We need more of that. We need to, we need to try and, and like, you know, we're, we're talking about like at the 11th hour when it's like, nah, this beer is going out. Like this beer has been sold on our web shop and we need to get some fucking balls out the door. Like we can add more marshmallows. Like they, it can't take it. Fermenter can't take it. No, they can. It can. It can. Please. <laughs> some more. So like it's, yeah. Like that's the great thing though. And it's, it's the kind of thing where like sometimes you take a step back and you're like, you've, you've had a heated argument with someone over whether or not there's enough marshmallow in the beer. And it's like, this is a nonsense. Like we are, we're, we're, we've become a parody of ourselves. Um, <laughs> but we, we, we love it. Like I, I, I love the fact that people get annoyed at the fact that we put glitter in beer, albeit it did explode eventually. Um, the strawberry stars debacle. Um, but you know, uh, beer needs to be fun. If, if beer is not going to be fun, then what the fuck's going to be fun? Yeah. No, it's, no, totally. I, I think that. Um, I think that massively, you know, and um, like if, if anyone's familiar with Emmanuel's, which is my brewery, like, you know, so it's all based on puns, you know, oh, hoppy days, mm. you're in the pale and stuff. It's just kind of like, like there just needs to be some joy and laughter in the names and stuff. I love a good pun. Yeah. That's what I love about Brew York, you know, their puns, you know, they're just like, yeah, you know, I, I love all that. And yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't have that, um, the, the beer just mentioned, but I remember seeing it and thought, I remember thinking that's pretty out there. That's kind of like the David Bowie of beers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit mental. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because like now that we've got the tap room, it's like I get to like, so when, when we went to festivals, it was quite cool. Like my favorite, my favorite customers were the, um, not to stereotype, but the, the um, a couple who are maybe in their fifties. The guys drank beer obviously all his life, and the wife's coming along for support. And because it's a nice thing to do, it's fun to go out to the mm. festival and to, to to drink a couple of couple of beers. And uh, he tries some of the beers and goes, "I've never had anything like that. That's absolutely crazy. It's beautiful. Love it." And then the wife comes along and will try the beers through and go, I've never liked beer before. That's incredible. Like it's, that's, that's my favorite type of thing where it's like, you can take someone who's maybe, you know, a paying camera member and convince them that this is actually a thing that isn't just a bit of a hype joke. Yeah. Um, and then the partner who doesn't like beer because our beer doesn't taste like beer. Uh, well then try some and go, do you know what? That's, that's actually, that tastes like what it says in the tin. And I quite like that. Yeah. I love that. You know, I remember, um, at Sheffield brewery, one of the, one of the last beers I brewed while I worked there, 
um, was called Sunburn and it was a, a raspberry wheat ice cream pale ale. Um, and it had a fair old amount of raspberry puree in mm. the conditioning tank. The, the the conditioning tank room looks a little bit like Shaun of the Dead once I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd finished with this puree. But um, I remember I, it, was, it might have even been like the last time or the penultimate time I worked on the bar there in the tap room. We used, we used to open once a month and it was opposite like this big artisan food market. So it got absolutely rammed. And um, I remember having it on, serving it on cask and it just getting absolutely demolished and drained by um, <laughs> m- mostly people who were like looking, oh, what, what, uh, bar- barkeep, what's your gin selection, you know? And then yeah, you'd see sure. him like, oh, what's that taste like? Can I try a bit? And you'd, you'd give it a, it's like, oh, I don't normally like beer. And you'd pour this like this pink liquid mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that's amazing, you know? And yeah. And that, what, that, dis- you know, like you say with the description, it tastes just like you've described it. And yeah. I think we might see your blueberry chocolate marshmallow small effort. I think there's a, a definitely a very high bar to set, particularly with like your craft beer nerds. If if you call something a pale ale, like that's just like a very broad brush stroke. You know, it could be kind of like, yeah. and you, you set the bar so low when it comes to what to expect. Well, I've got a liquid in my glass and it's a pale yellow. Therefore, it fits the definition. Whether it's good or not is another question. But when you say it's a chocolate, coconut, smoothie, marshmallow, sour with, you know, hundreds of thousands and a Cadbury's yeah. flake on top, you know, if if it doesn't fit that bill 110%, then like you're just going to get people kicking off. Yeah, man, totally. It's um, like we have to make sure that the flavours play well with each other. But if you want to pick them out, then we have to be able to let you pick them out. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, no, we've got, um, Christ, we had this conversation the other day, me and Ravi, and it was um, our new beer that's coming out. It's just for Christmas. Um, apple, cherry, uh, cinnamon, maple swirl. And it's like, you have to make sure that each of these individual ingredients shine on their own while still melding in with the rest of the ingredients and yeah it's it's a it's a hell of a challenge it really is um you know kudos to the brew team kudos to everyone outside of the brew team as well who gets involved in tastings and you know will argue the toss with with me and everyone else as to how much marshmallow how much maple how much chocolate (laughs) to add to these things and like you know doing that at eight o'clock in the morning is shit uh you don't want to come into work in the morning and start sampling 10% beer as to how much marshmallows in it. Like <laughs> you want to drink a coffee and put your headphones in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd, I'd love to go through your untapped feed and see some of the comments that are on there. I bet there's some real pearlers Just from people <laughs> who, who feel like that their expectations haven't been matched. Oh, um, no, it's, uh, yeah, I, I could, I think we could do, I could do an episode on Untaps, Nick. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so just while we're talking about social media, and I'm I'm sorry this had to come up sooner or later, but if we could take a moment to talk about the contentious topic, if there ever was one of, of supermarkets. So yeah, of l- last April, Vault City launched two beers into Tesco, which is, I think is a massive step forward for a brewery um, like yours or whoever, regardless you know, uh, when it comes to like national distribution and awareness. And while 
I'm I'm sure you obviously got maybe got some flack, but what whilst you remain largely at least from an outside perspective, looking at Twitter unscathed from like the sure. beer, the beer massive, um, follow, fellow brewers, Cloudwater really copped for it when it you know was announced that they were going to join the cohort of new beers coming into Tesco and they were going to be brewed by Brewdog. So I guess I've got I I, was, I just had this burning question. It might be this podcast might even come about very slowly but surely over time because of that happening and. Mm. Um, you know, I was, I was really curious. So, uh, the two questions I have: firstly, like, did you receive a lot of flack, whether it was publicly or privately, from you know customers or trade customers? And secondly, <laughs> why do you think a brewery like Cloudwater received such a massive backlash on social media, while breweries like Vault City or Brew by Numbers, who also put a, a beer into Tesco the next day, seen yeah. lauded by the same people who gave Cloudwater a really good thrashing? Sure. Okay. So the uh, first question, um, did we receive a lot of flack? Um, <laughs> I remember the, I remember the, the Tesco launch like it was yesterday. Um, from the day that Vault City looked like it was not going to just be a glorified hobby. Um, I've never had a problem with supermarket beer. Um, and that, is uh, down mainly down to the fact that my my craft beer journey started like squarely in supermarkets. So, yeah. Um, I I was buying um, Punk IPA, Innocent Gun. Um, I remember Tesco had their own version of Jackhammer, I think it was, but a little bit stronger, maybe like nine percent. It was like a proper big double IPA, mm. and at the time, like it blew my mind. Um, I'd love to try it now. Um, fresh and see if it really was that good. Um, so for me, um, supermarkets maybe aren't as big uh, a negative as a lot of people put them forward to be. Mm. I understand where that has come from and why people do believe that. And I respect that opinion. I really do. Um, but for me, I think that it can be done in a way so that we took the sort of <clears throat> watch me word everything incredibly carefully so that when I get quoted in five years, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I, I really wanted to balance the good things that a supermarket can bring. So taking a product that should never be in a supermarket shelf, a heavily fruited mixed fermentation sour beer, stick it there and for it to perform well, and then also bring people to bottle shops and and, and bars and go, do you know what, I had a, I've, I've tried sour beer. I, I had some after I tried some of the great IPAs that are in Tesco, your, your Northern Monks, your Vocation Love and Hates, uh, the London Beer Factory, uh, beers like, you know, people have, people need an into the craft beer market. I, I really don't believe that many people walk into a, a craft beer bottle shop and go, Huh, seven pound for a can of what's this say? Ver, verdant? <laughs> no, seven seven pound for a can of verdant. Like I, I don't think people get it from the off. They need to be educated, and that education needs to come from a point of curiosity, and that curiosity has to be sparked. Mm. And that's sparked in a place that they're familiar with. And for 
me. I think that's a supermarket. Yeah. So can I just pause you there before the, um, the 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 second question um, yes. about the Cloudwater backlash? Um, yes. Because I, I just want to touch upon that. I completely agree with you. Um, that was similar to my craft beer journey. Even if I go back as far back as um, you know the, the real ales that I enjoy, like um, Badger Bamford Flyer was like my favourite. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, real ale for a while you know and i used to have a bottle of that on a friday and that was like oh wow this is different i remember trying to explain to my late father-in-law that it's not a ginger beer it's a beer with ginger in it and uh, he was having none of it you know it's you mean a ginger beer then no (laughs) i mean it's a beer with ginger in it yeah like a ginger beer it's not a ginger beer um (laughs) But like um you, you know like i remember like discovering like sierra nevada pale ale um mm-hmm. yep. in a supermarket and and if I, I must confess like i the first time i tried your beers was from tesco because you know obviously like you know i, I there are a lot of breweries out there and stuff um and you know like i i'm always late on the bandwagon when it comes to like people where they're like oh you should try like duration of it or Volsi, whoever i'm just mm. for, for whatever reason i'm just always like a late comer to to the party i mean it took me ages yeah. to try steady rolling man and when i did i was like <laughs> why don't i try this beer soon it's amazing it's like yeah <laughs> i've got it i've got so, it on top in the kitchen yeah, actually yeah <laughs> so, so says everybody um but you know i i think they're massively important because actually um bottle shops can be can be and some owners of bottle shops that listen to this may feel like you know, when I say this, but they, they can be intimidating for for yeah. for, for non beer types. You know, you you walk in and you're like, you, you know, it's 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 really like an unknown. It's like you know, if you go shelf to on like, shelf on shelf of styles that you don't understand, and like, yeah. where do I start? Yeah, and then you know, the, the, the sort of everyone looks like they're they're in the know and all the rest of it, and you mm-hmm. kind of walk in and you're like, oh my goodness, like I don't even know what I like or where to begin, and and so on. And you know, I, I felt like that when I entered the brewing industry, you know, sure. and I was like, oh my goodness, like I just feel, I remember sitting around a table with all the other brewers in Sheffield as part of this collective, and just feeling like like I had this big red siren over my head that was like. Rrr, rrr, <laughs> you're like completely the odd one out you big home yeah, brewer totally. you know um so yeah i, I kind of just want to say that um reflect on that but yeah no for sure it's um yeah i think um so i completely agree that it can be intimidating walking into a bottle shop being presented with all this stuff um the bottle shops that you know i, I can only speak for the ones in the central belt of scotland and the ones that I adore and the ones that, you know, I've supported us from day one are the ones that get it and the ones that are able to take someone who can walk in off the street and just go like, you know, I quite like a, a punk IPA. What do you like about a punk IPA? Like, you know, what what is it there? And I think it, like trying to creating that, that kind of the great bottle shops are the ones that don't sell beer. They, they live and breathe beer. Like mm-hmm. they, they understand how to take someone on a journey from uh, a punk IPA um, all the way along the gambit through to trying to track down the hard to get Tommy chefs. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Like those are the ones for me, my sort of, my go-to was um, Beer Hive in, in Edinburgh. And uh, Pete and and 
Rich. Um, they've got more employees now who are, who are all excellent, but you know, Pete and Rich were the, the guys that I used to go into and see every uh, every Friday night. And, you know, they, they, they would... I remember, like, you know, getting Cloudwater's Dipa V3 uh, from them and, like, you know, waxing lyrical over the differences and like, you know, that, that's the kind of, yeah, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a fucking great community that we've got here. And mm. it's something so precious, something we really need to cherish and uh, bottle shops that create that atmosphere, create that, uh, that nurture that environment for people to explore and like, create a sense of exploration and adventure. You know, yeah, they're, they're they're the people that 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 run. They're the beating heart of the industry. Yeah, I mean, I'm not just saying that. <laughs> did, did you get much backlash or flack from any bottle shops for going into Tesco? Or yeah, one or two. I mean, um, you're you're always going to get it, and I, and I understand where it comes from for sure, because you know that it's they they are they are being squeezed at every at every angle. Bottle mm. shops. I, I I understand it fully. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult, it's not an easy job. It's, it's a lot more than, uh, it's a lot more than people realize. And, um, the people who do it are usually doing it for the passion uh, not many of them are, are doing it to, to make a quick buck. Um, I get the... I get the. I understand why Tesco's and and, and such isn't isn't trusted, and breweries who go down that road are are maybe questioned, um, rightly so. Uh, I think the thing that, that 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 we've sort of proved is that we're we're here to do good for the industry. Um, I'm quite happy to be the people to. I, I'd quite like to be part of a sour beer movement where people realize that sour beer isn't just this kind of nerdy end of the road piece for people who've been mm. through craft beer and eventually graduate into uh, talking about barnyard flavors and, and beer. Um, I, I think it can actually go the other way around. I think that sour beer could potentially be the start of the journey. Yep. Um, and I think that we could we could potentially be that, and at the same time, we've got such a, a, an amazingly talented team that can continue to produce this kind of you know really push the research and development, really try and um, come up with innovative ideas like the dream cake that we just made. Um, we've never made a beer thicker. We've never pushed the boat out like we have before with that. We've never used 1.5 ton of fruit in a beer before. Like, you know, uh, we can still do stuff like that. Know, but at one the end and of the a half day, tons of fruit. Yeah, 1,500 kilograms. Yeah. Wow. And that's in, uh, what was it? 4,400 litre batch. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's it called? Dream cake. Dream cake, yeah, yeah. Which is, um, it's funny because uh, I came up with the term dream cake uh, before I realised that there is actually a Danish dessert called. Uh, I'm not going to 
pretend to be able to pronounce it, but dream cake. Right. Uh, that is actually, that happened to have coconut in it as well. And the dream cake already had coconut. So when I was writing the label, I was like, let's, let's see if there is such thing as a dream cake. And there was as a Danish dessert. Wow. So, so I can never pretend it was intentional. Is this the beer mentioned earlier with the coconut powder? Yeah. So this was, this is round two of the dream cake. Right. Wow. That sounds amazing, <laughs> but I love the I love the I love the creativity and and, and everything. Um, so I guess just a couple of questions to to round up. Um, where do you see the industry heading over the next year or so, and what do you hope to see coming out of it? Yeah, sure. So um, I genuinely feel like I I am I'm not deserving of an opinion on the industry at all. Uh, I've been in it for about three seconds, but again, as we talked, like it's not that old an industry, and we're mm. now maybe part of a wave that's now not the new wave of of craft beer, which is is bonkers. I really hope. Um, I really hope we sort our shit out. Um, I think. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that's been coming out recently about uh, the lack of inclusivity and the um, the fact that anyone could feel not welcome in an industry that's centered around creating a drink that's there to be enjoyed by people with their friends. Like that's just so wrong on uh, so many levels yeah. at its core. Yeah. Um, like, Especially when you put it like that as well, because I know Pete Brown the beer writers say is like beer is the social clue that binds us together. You know? totally. And it's just like, yeah. Sorry to mean since we're up, but yeah, I think. How can you really ruin well. something so good? <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> um, like, yeah, we need to sort that out because it's not right. And um, we're, we're doing so many things so well that it seems a fucking shame to like snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Mm. Um, or snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, whichever one. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we 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 need to we need to grow up, and that's coming from someone who is very juvenile in the eyes of the industry. Um, we've we've not been along for a long time, around for a long time. Um, secondly, I I would say that one of the things I hate most about the craft beer industry is the whole, um, the attitude of cooler than thou. Yeah. Um, trying to be edgy and trying to, you know, someone coming in and getting their goozes and their goozes mixed up and being made to feel like a complete outcast. Like I've seen it all. It's, it's, it's a nonsense. And we just need to realize that this is a good thing. We need to continue beer as a force for good. And we need to make sure that we've got staying power because we can't, you know, craft beer can't be a tiny little niche thing. It shouldn't be. It's it's an amazing force. It's a grassroots movement that um, if we continue to go in the direction that we're going with with good motives, then it could be something incredible. And we, we could genuinely look at um, really making people care about, you know, everybody knows that alcohol consumption isn't exactly the best thing for you, but when you do do it, then you may as well do it with a bit of a considered mind. So we, we could be, 
we we could be a kind of force for good in in, in something that is maybe something that, that that people need to 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 be aware of yeah and i guess the, the last question just to bring it a bit home uh is what's next for vault city i know you alluded to cans earlier uh, one of the questions I, I didn't sort of get around to asking was um it seems that like everyone's moving to cans and uh, you know you've managed to um you stay in bottles which i would imagine could be a bit of a nightmare if you're selling direct to consumers over a web shop and it's kind of like oh another package has been broken by you know a career but um you know what's next what's coming up for vault city yeah um so um two answers the first is um i've got my first child on the way come january so uh i'm now in wind down mode right and <laughs> try and get all these daft projects out of the way and and just chill out for a bit and but so so much <laughs> yeah. we've got um we've really sort of yeah we've got a lot of things that are you know the the, the bow is taut and the arrow is pointed and we've got so many things that are about to launch and um so many things that are sort of simmering away um when we when we did the sort of when we when we did when we decided to do the tesco piece i alluded a lot towards it being a sort of a vehicle for us to be able to do some really silly things and to be able to sort of take the focus away from how the fuck do we pay our staff this month towards, right, how are we going to take this and, and do something really silly with it? Uh, we're, we're probably now at that stage where we can start to tick off a few things. And mm. yeah, our, our canning line, albeit secondhand from the lovely folks, the absolutely lovely, lovely folks at, at Fierce Beer. Um, I've got a lot of stories to share about Fierce and how much they've supported us um, over the years. Um, but yeah, got our canning line from them that should be working next week and we'll be launching into cans from January. Our 375 mil bottles will remain. Um, we won't be moving away um, from those. Our session sours and our, our core range that doesn't exist yet. Um, and our supermarket range will move all into 440 mil cans. Um, we've got interesting projects that aren't beer related in the slightest um we've got interesting projects that aren't beverage related in the slightest we've got a couple of new bars we've got um yeah there's 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 a lot going on and a lot of very um a lot of people with itchy feet in vault city that that want to just do some really cool stuff mm. and um we're we're just gonna we're just going to keep doing them because we all love what we're doing. We we love we love what we do, and we're incredibly excited for. It blows my mind to think that we that a year ago we hadn't released a beer out of Portobello, and we're now talking about all this stuff. Like time yeah. is flying at at the rate of knots, and uh, yeah, we've got some. I I can't wait to to see where we are in five years' time. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it's it's genuinely been a pleasure to have you on the show. I've proper loved talking to you this week. Um, so yeah, how how can people uh, find out more and go buy your beers? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, go to your local independent bar and bottle shop and buy our stuff. Um, it's, it's quite nice. Um, if they don't stock it, then um, check out our website. We do um, we do free delivery over £40. Um, we've got a really nice mixed case that has all the latest releases. Um, if that doesn't work, um, go to Tesco. Check out the raspberry and tropical sour. It's an absolute fucking steal <laughs> for for three pounds on the on the shelf. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just make sure to go out to your your local and and say like, have you got any Vault City? And hopefully they do. And if they don't, <laughs> yeah, then, if not, why then not? Tell them they're idiots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Well, th- thanks for joining me this week. Cheers, Nick. Nice. No, uh, been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Awesome, brilliant, and that's where the podcast will end, mate. I've, I I genuinely mean that. I've proper loved chatting to you. I think this has been one of the um, the, the most fun conversations I've had. Oh, great, thank um, you. Or doing the podcast. So um, yeah, I just I I love what you guys are about, um, and just just keep doing what you're doing. You know, um, I always oh, cheers, I always um, my mate Darren from the Industry Tap in Sheffield. He, he always oh, yeah. used to stock. But you know, I, when I go in there, I always see like the interesting, like the um, was it the he did like a cherry bakewell, was it? Or, or, yeah, it was like, yeah, 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 cherry bakewell. Yeah, I was, you know, I think I had that one. I remember having something. I tell you one I did like um, that strawberry honey stout. It's like an impy stout. You did for, your, for your, was it for your yeah, birthday raspberry white chocolate. That was it. Honeycomb. Oh my yeah. goodness, that was amazing. Um, yeah, it's mental. Yeah, so um, yeah, so keep keep at it. No, cheers, man. Thank you very much. It's, um, yeah, it's so fun. Like, I fucking love it. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.